Good morning, good morning. If we start making our way to our seats, please. It's great to see everybody this morning. I'm going to go ahead and kick in while you guys are going to your chairs. We have a lot of announcements and some things we're going to do this morning. We're excited. Things going on in the life of our body. So uh, right out of the gate, first of all, welcome everyone online. Good to see you this morning. Well, we don't see you, but glad you're with us. Um, First off, today, 4.30, 4.30 today here in the sanctuary uh, will be our every other week prayer time uh, to come and just pray for things going on in our city, in our body, in your lives. So today, prayer, 4.30. And shortly after that, for those that want to come to that and then stay, we have a wonderful opportunity. Uh, Ryan and Joy Thomas are here, uh, missionaries that we support and pray for that are in Southeast Asia. They're here for a few days, and uh, you're going to hear from him in a little bit. But there's a special pizza missions dinner a time later today at 6 o'clock over in the gym building. Uh, time to hear more about their ministry, what's going on over there as they're serving and taking the gospel to the nations. So that's, uh, there'll be a pizza provided. And uh, so that's today at 6 in the gym. Um, and again, you can come pray 430 and then head over there by 6. It would be great. So that's tonight. Uh, this Thursday night, very exciting time. We're going to have a, a movie night slash documentary time called Riot and the Dance. It's a nature documentary for all ages. Um, it is Battery. Woo! That one's good. All right. Grady, you okay? It's all right. It's just a microphone. I'm sorry. Okay. This Thursday night, July 28th, 6.30. Um, fun time, popcorn and snacks. We do ask that you register so we can at least prepare as far as snacks and things um, to see how many are going to come. Many have already started registering. We're very excited about that. Uh, there will be activity sheets for kids. Uh, so that's this Thursday night, July 28th at 6.30. Wednesday a week, August 3rd, we mentioned it last week, we're going to have a time to serve the Capitol Heights Middle School. Uh, we're going to have a time to go there at 5.30, Wednesday night, August 3rd, to help clean up all around the facility, lay out pine straw around their trees and different things, pick up trash, and obviously spend a time of prayer and intercession as you're walking the grounds. Sometimes Principal Harrison's there, lets us in the building to be able to walk the halls and pray, and uh, we will be having Chick-fil-A provided for those that want to come and join us. We're very excited youth group. Uh, the youth, we mentioned it this morning in class, that they will be going there to participate. That will be their Wednesday night gathering, and we're just excited to be able to serve the Capitol Heights community. Uh, two things, two opportunities uh, to deal uh, for our deacon ministry. Um, the first thing we want to make you aware of this afternoon, um, Kevin and Amy Lynn Blake, where are you? There they are, right here in the center. They lead um, under the uh, Mike Presley's leadership as a deacon. They're giving oversight to our greeting team. As you can see out there, Jason and Anna Lee are functioning well and welcoming folks in, and they do it at different parts on the campus. So if you're interested at all to be a part of our greeting team to make people feel welcome on Wednesday, um, Sunday morning, today at 4.30 at their home, they're going to have dessert, and it's an interest meeting. So talk to them afterwards if you have any interest to be a part of that. John Glasscock, one of our deacons, is going to come and make you aware of another opportunity to serve. Thank you, CJ. My name is John Glasscock. Sometimes you see me 
back there playing poorly um, on the drums, uh, but I am also a uh, deacon, and uh, as we have talked uh, about everything with the deacons, uh, what we want to do ideally is to have situations where we um, provide oversight for deacon ministries, and the areas that I'm responsible for are uh, ordinances and web content. So if you can do this with your finger or do that, you can uh, participate in the areas of service that I oversee. Now, next Sunday, we're going to uh, do communion. And so if anyone is interested in learning about that and how that works out, um, I usually get here at about 7.30 on Sunday mornings. Uh, so if you wanted to come and... Um, learn about communion and how we set up. It's also an opportunity to pray for uh, the church and everything that goes on. Um, I would love to have you come and be a part of that. Come and talk to me uh, after service. Don't try to talk to me while I'm playing because I can't do that. Uh, my wife is back here. Wave, Lisa, and my lovely children. Uh, that's where I'll be after uh, service is over if you want to come and talk to me. Thanks. Does this one work? All right. Another announcement. So we want to give you an update about the elders retreat that we had last weekend. It was a great time as we got to spend together. Uh, I think it's the, the first time we spent a good portion of time together. Um, first of all, what I found out, uh, Jeff cooked all of our meals. If you want a great steak, invite Jeff over or uh, ask him to come over to his house. And he also did breakfast. And when I say breakfast, I mean like bacon, eggs, biscuits. Jeff did all of that, so it was, it was wonderful. But we had a great time of just getting to know each other a little better and uh, spending some time in fellowship. I want to read uh, from 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2. As Peter is talking to the elders, he said, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow, excuse me, as a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And as brothers uh, here, uh, as the elder team, our desire is to shepherd this flock. We want to love the body. We want to encourage the body. And to give you kind of the context, in the last few months, we've been going through um, the trellis and the vine. Is that uh, slide, next slide? We've been going through this book, and as we've been talking about it, the idea of trellis and the vine is the trellis is the framework. Maybe we would call it programs, we would call it philosophy of ministry, things that are written, things that we do. The vine work is the idea of pouring into people's lives. The vine work is the hardest of the work. And that is because it requires discipleship, getting involved in your life, knowing you, and shepherding you well. And as we had these conversations, we began to think, what is it as a church that we would like to see, uh, we would like to, to grow in? And one of those areas is discipleship. And so we talked about discipleship, but what we did is we spent a good amount of time the first evening, the first afternoon in prayer. We prayed for each other, asked how we could pray for one another. We also prayed for the staff. We also prayed for the deacons. Uh, and, and we did so in depth as we thought about the needs that are there. And then we had some discussions. First, we discussed how we could uh, encourage discipleship among the small groups, youth ministry, and Sunday school. So as you go to Sunday school, and this is, I'm going I'm to put
push you a little bit here. I would encourage you to be more involved in a Sunday school environment or a small group so that you can be encouraged and that you can be pushed in this idea, in this area of discipleship. Um, we want to see you grow in your walk with the Lord. And that's the desire here. We also talked about um, how we can equip our parents and youth leaders to disciple our young people. Uh, youth ministry, you look around, we have lots of young people. We want to grow in that area. We want to pour into the lives of our young people so that, that when they leave Gateway, because one day they will leave Gateway, they will be equipped to follow Christ and, and lead, lead lives that are pleasing to the Lord. We also want to see some of our young people who don't know Christ, we want to see them come to faith in Christ. And so the goal of discipleship is to give them the gospel again and again and to remind them who they are. Finally, we talked about uh, having a four-week new members class. And here's why. When people come in and they want to know about Gateway, we want to give them a foundation. And one of the things that we want to start with in that four-week membership process, which we hope to start or implement in October, is we want to begin with the gospel. Do you understand the gospel and what the gospel is? So that when people come in, they know that this is a gospel-centered church. We want to see the name of Christ exalted. And then from there, we're going to talk about the purpose of the church, what is worship, and spiritual disciplines. And so these ideas, as we kind of talked about them and we discussed them, I think, I believe there was a, a, an agreement as a team. Yes, these are things we want to do. Now, the details we're still working out. But there was unity, and I just ask that you continue to pray for the elders, that there would be unity and that there would be growth in our own understanding of how we can shepherd you better. So thank you for the time. Thank you for your prayers. Continue to pray for us as we move forward. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate it, brother. Well, let's stand together and prepare our hearts to worship the Lord through song. Coming together to worship our God and just want to read some verses from Psalm 103 over us. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all of your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. Let's worship him this morning.
Jesus' blood in righteousness. I did not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name.
All of the ground is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand.
seated. We just sang, church family, about the nations bowing down. And that is our hope and our prayer and our desires that the nations would bow before the Lord. And we get the joy this morning of hearing from a missionary friend. You heard from him a year ago. This is Ryan and Joy. And you heard a little bit about their journey. They were in a... You heard their journey about a year ago when they came to be with us. He challenged us about the nation's hearing. But their own story, they were in a communist country as missionaries. And they got arrested and kicked out. And God has brought them on a journey to send them back to a nearby area to continue to reach the people that God has called them to reach. So, Ryan, you come up here. And, Joy, you're welcome to come also with him if you'd like to. And you guys give us an update on what God has been doing in your life. Hey, so, uh, Chris, is he back there? Is he here? Oh, did I pick the one week that he's not here? Okay, well, Chris and Grady had asked to come give an update, and we thought, why not hop on a plane with five kids and drive 36 hours and then drive two states to get here because we know how to live life. So, no, we actually are really grateful to be here with you guys. This was unplanned, but about five months ago, we were told we had a meeting in Orlando instead of in Greece, because that's the original place. And so we had to come back and we had a meeting for a week. And then we did a week. We saw Joy's grandfather who lives in um, Jacksonville. But I'm Ryan, this is Joy. And we have five kids and we know how to live life. But we now serve in Cambodia. And we were thankful. So since we hit the ground, we hit it running. And uh, we got there last November. I've been there about seven months thus far. And in, in that time, so we planted an English-speaking church, international church there. And so I serve as one of the elders there. And um, that's been fun. And it's really busy. So pray for your elders. When, you, when they're up there giving, el- giving updates and prayers, pray for them. Because as a fellow elder of another church, yes, we need it. And there's a lot of problems. And, we deal, and so we need a lot of wisdom and grace. And then uh, I've also been teaching... Biblical counseling at the Phnom Penh Bible School, and so I taught an entire semester of that, 15 weeks, and uh, that was a real joy. So as one of the arms of the things that I do is teach counseling and counsel, and so um, Cambodia as a whole has very little uh, just interaction with that at all, and so this is a lot of very ground, a lot of groundwork teaching and just making, bringing awareness and um, and then in that time, been doing that Joy finished seminary. I'm really excited. And so she finished her master's. So really thankful for that. And uh, all, all the while, I've been teaching that. And then I've been teaching in a, a, in China, online, kind of a mission agency doing some things. It's got about 300 people. So I teach as part of a cohort in that. And so we've been busy, right? As, and uh, all the while, like I, I did learn some Kamai, but I've since given that up because I can't, my five kids and I'm getting older and then pursuing a PhD and then, yeah, just it, you learn, you, you only have so much energy in one day. And, um, and so we were thankful to get to come back. And so we pray, we ask for prayer for this coming as we leave here tomorrow, we're going to go back to Arkansas for a month and then... Um, as we approach the fall, pray for this one who has to deal with all five of my offspring every day and teaches them, thankfully. I love my children. We just look for jokes. And uh, I just try to be funny. And, uh, and it calms me. But, um, yeah, pray for her. She's going to continue homeschooling in the fall. 
and then we are seeking to host some Indonesians and perhaps possibly Indians in our city to help train them to become, how do they become missionaries? So while a lot of, we work for the International Mission Board, so we have pre-filled training and a lot of teaching that can happen, but not everywhere in the world has access to things like that. And so we, I serve on a team of other people that we do that for other nationalities. And so pray for us as we get that ramped up in the coming months. I'm going to be teaching at three different seminaries, biblical counseling. So pray for just energy and grace in that. Um, but we do desire to see God's sufficient word address and, and equip missionaries as they go out to the to plant churches or to serve other churches. And then pray for us too is uh, our church. We, our church is called Great Commission Baptist Church of Phnom Penh. And pray for them as we head back. And I serve on the elder team. And um, yeah, it's we as we seek to make plans for the fall and what the Lord has us to do and how can we effectively reach um, this Phnom Penh, but also the country of Cambodia and surrounding nations, we believe is best through the local church. And so how can we do that well and serve, um, serve the nations through that? And then I'll be teaching and training in various other capacities in all in Mandarin and in English and um, in different ways as opportunities present themselves. But ultimately, our, our goal and aim is to see God glorified. We want to see the saints equipped, and we want to see churches edified and nourished and grown and deepened. And so we we're really thankful for you guys, thankful for, number one, you give money. And so we still have a paycheck because you give, so thank you. And thank you for your prayers that uh, you guys, you know, listen to me ramble and then in our videos. And, and that you guys commit and do pray for us regularly. And uh, we're just really grateful for that because the Lord does work um, still. And, uh, and pray for, yeah, just pray for God's church there in Cambodia. Uh, there's, there are a lot of Christians. There are a lot of churches. They're 98% are not healthy. Um, I mean, we deal with things like pastors having multiple wives. Um, like it's funny, it may sound, but that's common. Or human trafficking and drug trafficking is a real problem where we live. Um, multi-million dollar you know, these things are just part of life. And so pray for us as we minister in these kind of environments and amongst these people that, that God would open their hearts to see that, yeah, the gospel is worthy and it can change them and that there is hope. So thank you for, yeah, letting us come and share. I'm going to pray for these two. Father, thank you for your grace and your goodness in the lives of Ryan and Joy. Thank you for what you're doing through them. And Lord, they've got a lot on their plate. I just pray for strength. I pray for, for grace to be able to prioritize. Um, and I just pray for them that as they minister, that the gospel would do its work in the hearts and lives of the people they minister to. Lord, thank you that they're serving in this church. And I ask that as they do serve, that God their joy and their enthusiasm would be evident. Um, I know energy is a big deal, uh, especially when you're taking care of five kids. Uh, just pray that you'd give them the energy that they need. And Lord, that they would see much fruit in their ministry. Lord, that's the heart's desire of every pastor, of every missionary, of those doing your work. We want to see fruit. 
And so I pray that you would allow them to see that fruit. Pray that you would give them travel mercies, lots of traveling. Uh, Cambodia is a long way away. And uh, as they're on taking flights, as they're driving, taking flights, what, what they need to do in, in their travels, that you would just protect them and keep them. And uh, who knows, maybe a conversation on a plane uh, that you could use them in those, in, in those contexts. So, Lord, thank you for what they're doing. Thank you for how you're blessing. And I pray now as Grady comes to preach your word, that we would be attentive to it, that you would use that word in our hearts, in our lives, uh, to make us more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Well, kids, first to fourth grade, you were dismissed to kids' worship at our home. Miss Nikki will be with you this morning. So first to fourth grade, kids will worship. Thank you, Ryan and Joy, for that update. We are grateful the Lord has sent you back this way and grateful to get to hear a little bit more of you. I just want to remind you of what CJ mentioned at the beginning. If you want to hear more from Ryan and Joy, there's a pizza dinner in the gym tonight. No cost to you. It's 6 o'clock, and so if you're interested in that, we hope you will stop by that. There's details on the Gateway Community uh, Facebook page so you can learn more about that. Why don't you find 1 Peter chapter 1 in your copy of God's Word this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1. We are still in the introduction to this amazing letter that God has given to us. Just to remind you where we are in this particular journey. Peter began in verses 1 and 2 with the greeting of the letter. Now, if you saw this from a few weeks back, this was not any mere formality of a greeting. It was packed full of truth, and the greeting set the theme of the entire letter. And that theme was that we have a God-given identity. Look all the way back in verse number 1 of 1 Peter. This is Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exile. So in verse 1, you see at the very outset, this letter is telling us that our identity is elect exiles, that we are chosen by God and yet strangers in the world. Now, the rest of the letter unpacks for us what that looks like. So if you, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, I think we'll have that one up on the screen for you. In 1 Peter 5, 12, we see, by Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So the rest of this book is God giving us the tools to help us stand firm in his grace to begin to live out what it means to be elect exiles, the chosen people of God. So that was the introduction to the letter. What we have then in these in the most recent two weeks has been, so that was the greeting letter. What we have now is the introduction of the letter. Verses 3 to 12, if your copy of the Bible is like mine, it's all broken into one section. That is Peter's introduction. And I told you a few weeks ago, verses 3 to 12 is just one sentence in the original Greek language when Peter wrote this. This is one sentence, one idea where he's introducing the letter here. And what Peter's doing, he's not giving any commands in verses 3 to 12. Verses 3 to 12 is him painting a picture for us of what the Christian life is like. So he's painting a picture for us. He's not telling you, go do these things. He's saying, this is what the Christian life is like. Now, we like the beginning of the picture he starts to paint. So if you imagine an artist up here drawing a picture, we like how the picture starts here. Because in the first few verses, in verses 3, 4, and 5, he tells us about the assurance of heaven, the hope we have in heaven. And he shows us what is to come, and we like that. But then as he starts to draw a little bit more of what it's going to take to get to heaven, we don't like how the picture starts to develop often. Because in verses 6 and 7, what Jeff preached for us last week, we saw that the road to heaven is filled with trials and sufferings. That the path that God has us on is not a path of ease. There's no promise of affluence. It's rather a promise of trials and sufferings and difficulties in life. But what Peter is showing us here is those trials and hardships we face are not outside of the control of God, rather in the hands of a sovereign God, and he is using them for a particular purpose. So we saw last week from Jeff in verse 7, 
and talks about the trials we go through so that the tested genuineness of your faith, that God is using the trials of this life, the hardships of this life, those things we walk through to grow our faith, to purify our faith, to make it what he desires it to be. And that's really important for what comes now in verses 8 and 9 this morning. So again, if you think of Peter's drawing a picture for us, painting a picture for us, he showed us the hope of heaven, and he shows us the path that we are on. He now goes back and he fills in more details for us about this path that we're on, what this growing faith looks like, how the trials are shaping our faith. And so our question for this morning is quite simply, what does a growing faith in Christ look like? That's what verses 8 and 9 are all about. What does faith in Christ and a faith that grows look like? But friends, as we think about that, we need to make that personal. This is not just an academic exercise to go, what is faith? And let's get a good, precise definition of it. And the question for us is, is my faith like this? As we look at what Peter's saying today, as he's painting a picture for us, again, no commands here, but this is what the Christian life is like, and this is what growing faith is like. The question for you and for me is, is this what my faith is like? In other words, if we ask God, God, what is my faith like? How would he describe it? Or if you ask your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, your friends, how would you describe my life? Are our lives marked by what Peter shows us right here in verses 8 and 9? So we look at verses 8 and 9 this morning. Those are our two questions. What does a growing faith in Christ look like? And then let's apply it. Is my faith like this? So I'm going to ask you to stand, please. I want us to read God's word. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word shows us so clearly what faith is like. And Lord, as we dig into this text this morning, I pray your Holy Spirit will be working each one of our hearts to help us see if this is what our faith is like, that you would use this today to grow us, your people, to be what you desire us to be. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, before we jump into how Peter describes faith here, there's a question I want us to ask first, and that is, why does Peter paint this picture for us? This is kind of an odd way to start the letter. He's writing to people who are struggling and suffering. He's writing to people who are scattered. And he doesn't begin with, here's the things you need to know. He starts with, this is who you already are. So if you go back to verse 8, again, look at what he's saying to these people in Asia Minor. He says, though you've not seen him, you love him. You believe in him. You rejoice. He tells them what they already know. He tells them what they are already doing. Why would he begin his letter stating the obvious? I think two reasons. One, he's encouraging them. They're in a difficult place, and so he's speaking the truth to encourage them to see what God's grace has done in their life. That is a great reminder to us of our need to do that for one another, for us as a church to grow in encouraging one another and how we see God's grace at work in each other's life. But I think Peter's doing a second thing beyond just encouragement also. I think he's giving them and us a standard by which to evaluate our faith. He's giving them a standard by which to evaluate their faith. He's giving us a standard, a benchmark, if you will, to be able to evaluate our own faith. Now, think of it this way. Back in the summer, our family got to go on a vacation down to Florida to Navarre Beach. And the older boys and I did something we'd never done before. We bought boogie boards and got out in the ocean. And we crashed in the waves. We just had a lot of fun. I'd never done it before. We kind of got obsessed with this over our several days at the beach. And as we're watching the waves, we're probably doing it wrong. We're not riding it. We're more just crashing into the waves. We're looking out over the vastness of the Gulf of Mexico. But as we are out there and playing 10 or 15 minutes, we're having so much fun. We finally turn around 
And we started down here, and we've drifted way down the ocean, far away from where we started. And we didn't even realize that. But how do we know we had drifted? There was a reference point. There was something that we saw, oh, that's where we were. For us, it was this massive red bag of towels and pull toys for the younger kids, right? We saw that massive red bag, and we saw the big umbrella behind. We're like, that's where we were supposed to be because there was a benchmark. There was a reference point. That, in a sense, is what God is giving to us here. He said, this is what faith looks like so we can see if we have begun to drift from it. It's a reference point to help us examine our own faith. Friends, most of us in this room would say, oh, yes, I have faith in God. Many of us in this room say, oh, yeah, my faith in God is in a pretty good place, when in reality, like me at the beach, we may have been drifting down and not even realized it because it is so subtle. So God gives us the grace gift of his word here to show us the standard of what a growing faith looks like so we can pause and go, is this really where I am or have I drifted down a little ways? So what is the reference point? There's three key words in verse 8. There's the reference point for us to evaluate whether or not this is what our life looks like. Look back at verse 8 again. They've not seen him. Here's the first one. You love him. They do not now see him. Second one, you believe in him. And the third one comes right here. You rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Love, trust, and joy. Now notice something about these three words. As you think about these benchmarks to see, have I drifted or not? Love, trust, and joy are not external things. Then say, go look at, if you're checking off all these boxes, he starts with heart motivations. And this is so important because you and I can do a lot of external things and be really far from God. We may be very religious and doing all the right exercises, so to speak, but our hearts can be far from God and we can even lack faith that we're doing a bunch of external things. So God in his grace gives us that benchmark, that Red bag in the sand, that big umbrella to help us see if we've drifted down away from where we are supposed to be. Love, trust, and joy. Let's look at those three from the text this morning. Again, asking the Lord to search our own hearts to see, is this true for us? The first benchmark he gives us, that first landmark, is love. So the question is, am I loving Christ? If we want to apply this, the standard for faith starts with love. Am I loving Christ? Look back at verse 8 again. Though you have not seen him, you love him. So Peter acknowledges at the beginning that the, readers he's, the original readers of this letter did not have what Peter had. Remember, Peter had walked with Christ. Peter had seen with his own physical eyes Jesus' life, his miracles, his death, his resurrection. He had seen it all with his eyes. But to these people in Asia Minor and what's Turkey today, he says to them, you have not seen him. They have not with their own eyes seen the things Peter has saw. And friends, this would be us as well today, 2,000 years later. Our own eyes did not get to see Jesus walk on water. We did not see the miracles ourselves with our own eyes. And he says, though, but that's not a problem. Even though you were not the eyewitnesses like Peter was, he says, even though you did not be the eyewitnesses, you still love him. He's showing us that true faith in God creates in us a love for God. The true faith in God creates in us a love for God. Friends, this is so important as we think about our own faith. You cannot have faith in God without love for God. Please don't miss that. You cannot have faith in God without a love for God. This is where American Christianity has so missed the mark over the years. We've taught people over the years, you can dislike the idea of spending eternity in hell. So you give some mental assent to a few facts about who God is. Pray a prayer. Then go live your life like you want to live, and you're okay. Friends, that's not the message of the Bible. In the Bible, there's no separation from faith in Christ and a love for the person of Christ. True faith in Christ always involves loving Christ. 
Now, what does it mean to love Christ? I can't do better than describing it than what John Piper once wrote on this and what it means to love Christ. He says, this is the essence of what it means to love God. It is to be satisfied in him. To love God is to be satisfied in him. Piper continues, in him, not just in his gifts, but in God himself as the glorious person that he is. Notice it says, loving God will include obeying all his commands. It will include believing all his words. It will include thanking him for all his gifts. So he says, okay, yes, obedience includes belief. It includes obedience. But he says, all of that is the overflow. What is, a, what is love for God? The essence of loving God is admiring and enjoying all that God is. And so, friends, as we search our hearts and say, do I love God? The starting point is not the external things. Yes, we can look at our obedience. Yes, we can look at our time in the world. Yes, we can look at a lot of those things. But the starting point are our heart affections. Do we delight in God? Are we satisfied in him? Do we love him for him? I love how King David described it. I believe it's a great example for us of what it looks like to love God. Psalm 63, verse 1. David says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Now notice how the love for God is expressing from his heart here. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you. He's focused on God himself in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Friends, if you want a picture of what love for God looks like, it's not a checklist of do, 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 do. It is looking at a heart that adores God, that is satisfied in him, and that delights in him. True faith is equated with true love for God. But notice something important about this. Go back to verse 8 this morning. He says, though you've not seen him, you love him. Friends, in the Greek language in which this was written, love is present tense. That means it is an ongoing action, a regular activity. He's saying, though you do not see him, you love him, and you keep on loving him, and you keep on loving him, you keep on loving him. In the good days, you love him. In the trials, you love him. When you're suffering, you love him. When you're prospering, you love him. Whatever you go through, you are loving him. This is not, I felt love for Jesus at VBS when I was in third grade, and I'm okay. This is the ongoing mark of faith. This is an ongoing love for the person of Christ. And so the question for us, again, these are benchmarks to help us see, is this where we are? If we look at our lives this week, friends, think back over the last seven days, how strong is your faith? And one of the measuring sticks for that is for us to go, how am I loving Christ? Are we delighting in the person of Christ this week? Are our minds thinking about him? Are our hearts enjoying his presence? Are we growing in our faith? Are we loving him this week? And friends, the reality is it's easy to drift, isn't it? Just like in the ocean when I'm playing in the waves, I can drift and not even know it. It's so easy for us who have enjoyed God's presence before to quickly drift and to lose that love for him. So the first question for us is, am I loving Christ? Second benchmark that Peter gives us, and that's trust. Am I trusting in Christ? Am I trusting in Christ? Look at verse eight still this morning. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Again, he's saying you do not see him now. Why? Because Jesus ascended back to heaven. We spent a whole week on this in our previous sermon series called Rooted. We talked about where is Jesus now, and he's ascended. He's at the right hand of the Father. So we cannot see him with our physical eyes. Yet, if we are elect exiles, verse 1, if we are God's people who belong to him, then his grace produces in us a deep trust in the God we cannot see. So again, true faith cannot be separated from trusting in God. 
You may be thinking here, Grady, I do not see the word trust in this text. It uses the word believe and not trust. Well, yes, I changed it for a reason here. It is the word believe here, but in Greek, this word believe means to trust someone, to put your confidence in someone, to depend on someone. So this word belief means trust, confidence, dependence on another person. When we use the word believe in our culture, so often we think of, oh, I'm going to give some assent to a few mental facts, but that's not how it's used in Scripture. So I'm using the word trust instead because I think it better captures what this word means and how we typically think of it. When you think about faith or belief in Scripture, yes, there's a certain knowledge of who God is you have to embrace. Yes, there's a certain acceptance of that truth of who God is, but ultimately in Scripture, belief and faith is a trust, a commitment, a dependence upon this God for who he has revealed himself to be. In Scripture, believing or faith is putting yourself completely in God's hands in such a way that it radically changes your life. Now, friends, just like with the word love, the word trust here is present tense. That means it is ongoing. So this is not a, did I trust Jesus? But the question is, is my life a life that is continuing to trust Jesus? That's why when we see us celebrating baptisms here, we do not ask the question in the past tense. We do not say, have you trusted Jesus? That's, we don't do that because that's not what faith is in Scripture. It's not a point in time that I trust him and now I live my life. The pattern in Scripture is, am I trusting Jesus? So when someone's baptized here, the question here is, are you trusting in Jesus? Present tense, and that is by design because faith in Scripture is ongoing trust in who Christ is. And so the second reference point that Peter gives us to see if we've kind of drifted is how is our trust in Christ? Is our faith strong? And one way we can see that is are we trusting in him even when things are hard? So again, if you think of your life the last seven days, was your life the last week in the highs and the lows marked by a confident trust in God and his plans? Was your life marked by some type of frantic worry or trying to fix it all yourself, which is what I do so often, or just a kind of an ignorance of what God is doing, or even just trying to drown out your problems in some other way, or in the midst of the hardships, are you going, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. As you think about the last week, is your life marked by a strong faith that is seen in trusting God? So the two landmarks Peter gives us are, first of all, am I loving Christ? Second of all, am I trusting Christ? But there's one more landmark he gives us here to help us see if we're where we're supposed to be or if we're drifting, and that's joy. Am I rejoicing in Christ? Am I rejoicing in Christ? Again, look at verse 8 here. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And here's the third word. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So again, like the other two, rejoice is present tense. This is not, I felt an emotional high of joy in that one worship service when I was 13, and so I'm good now. This is, is your life patterned as a life of joy and more joy and more rejoicing and more rejoicing and more rejoicing? Friends, what does it mean to rejoice? It's an important one if we're going to use this as our benchmark. To rejoice means you feel and you express great joy. So to rejoice is you're expressing joy. You're responding to joy in your life. So what is joy? That's a hard one to define, isn't it? You try to look it up in dictionaries, and they struggle to define the word joy. They try things like great delight or team pleasure or elation or glad feelings. But the definition you've heard me say before that I like for joy, joy is the experience deep within us of great delight. 
Joy is the experience deep within us of great delight. Friends, that is far beyond surface level happiness. It's something deep in our soul that we have a great delight deep down in our soul. And what is it that's giving us this delight? Well, Peter clarifies here for us in this. It's not some religious experience. It's not joy that I'm not going to go to hell but it's joy in knowing the person of Christ and knowing Jesus personally and having a real relationship with him. And so true faith exhibits itself in a continual rejoicing in who Christ is and the rejoicing and hearing from him and his word and joy in praying to him and talking to him, joy in communing with him as you worship him and reflect on him. And Peter is so aware of the deepness of this joy. Notice he adds several different expressions to help us understand how deep this joy really is. He says, you rejoice and keep on rejoicing with joy that is inexpressible. Some of your translations say it's unutterable. That means the joy is so deep, words fail to express adequately what you're feeling. And so this type of joy that he's talking about is a joy in the person of Christ that is so rich and so real. When someone says, tell me about your love for Jesus, You struggle to find enough words because the words fall short. This is the struggle as we sing to the Lord. We're singing all this great truth, but we're going, but there's so much more that could be said. How do I say it? That's what it means. It's inexpressible. It's not that we don't say it, but it's that there's so much more to this joy that words can adequately communicate. The joy that God wants us to have in a growing faith is a joy that is so rich and so real. We struggle to figure out how to explain it to others. He says one other thing about it. He says this joy is inexpressible. It's also filled with glory. Friends, glory is a word used in the Bible to describe God's brightness around his presence, to describe his characteristics, his attributes. And what Peter is saying is to remind us that our joy comes from the presence of God himself. That as we are rejoicing in God, we are experiencing the glory of God. We're experiencing God's presence with us. One of the authors I was reading this week said it so well. He said, this is the joy of heaven before heaven. This is the joy of heaven before heaven, experienced now in fellowship with Christ, that we get a foretaste of what heaven will be like because we get to experience the joy of God's presence now with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So again, back to our opening question, friends, how strong is your faith this week? Is your faith growing? And one of the questions we can look at is, am I rejoicing in Christ this week? Am I experiencing a joy so deep in my heart this week that I'm struggling to find adequate words to tell you about it? Am I delighting in him? Am I spending time with him? Or am I just kind of living my life, doing my own thing, or doing things out of habit or discipline? Am I rejoicing in Christ this week? So again, do you see what Peter's doing here? He's painting a picture for us. He's showing us what a Christian life looks like, what our life as elect exiles are like. He's just said in verses 6 and 7, you're going to have trials, but he's showing us that those trials and hardships do not break us. Those trials grow our faith so that we grow in our love for God, so that we grow in our trust in God, so that we grow in our rejoicing in God, even if life is hard. The trials don't shatter us. They build us and grow our faith. And as God does that, even in the hardships, notice what happens. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, you're obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. He says, as this happens, as God works through those circumstances, as you pursue Christ and he grows your faith, what happens is you are obtaining the outcome of your faith. You're obtaining salvation. Now, we talked about this several weeks ago. When you think of salvation, a lot of times we talk about past tense. I was saved at this time in my life. Sometimes we talk about present tense. God is saving me from these strongholds of sin in my life. He's rescuing me from that. But when Peter talks about salvation, almost always in this letter, 
He's looking future tense. When Christ returns, when we see him face to face, when we experience the fullness of salvation, have eternity with him forever. That's what Peter is talking about normally when he says salvation. He says, so you are obtaining now that type of salvation. In other words, he's saying what we, I mentioned a minute ago, you're getting the taste of heaven before you get to heaven. You're getting more and more the joys of heaven before you get to heaven because you're experiencing more of his love You're experiencing more of trusting him, more joy in him with each passing day. Friends, this is a glorious promise that we can experience more of heaven each day of our life as God grows our faith. Now, that raises two practical questions for us that we try to think through what this looks like in our life. Number one, how is this type of faith even possible? How is this type of faith even possible? You may be thinking, okay, I don't love God that way. I don't trust God that way, and I'm not rejoicing in God that way, and friends, neither am I. So what is, how do we have this? And the, the starting point is realizing we cannot make this on our own. We're in a culture of self-help that thinks you can just solve everything and just try harder. Friends, you and I cannot manufacture in our hearts this type of love, trust, and joy in God. So how is this type of faith possible? Only if God gives it to us. Go back to verse 3 when he talks about the starting point of our faith. We saw this a few weeks ago. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. The origin of our salvation is in God, not in us. And the continuation of our salvation is in God, not in us. The only way we can have this type of faith is because God gives it to us and God grows it in us. Well, verse three here shows us God giving it to us. How does God grow this in us? Friends, once we trust Christ, the Holy Spirit fills us. So this is not a call for us to try harder, that white-knuckle determination. I'm going to try harder to love God this week. I'm going to try harder to rejoice more this week. We will never get there if we just try harder. The only way this happens is that the Holy Spirit fills us and produces these things in us. I love the reminder from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It's a well-known text. We talk about it often, but it's called the fruit of the Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit produce in us as he dwells within us and shapes our thinking and turns our mind to God? What does he do? Notice the first two of those are the very things we're talking about here. The fruit of the Spirit, he produces in us love and joy. He produces in us peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Friends, the only hope for us to love God and keep on loving God, the only hope for us to rejoice in God and keep on rejoicing in God, the only hope for us to trust in God and keep on trusting in God is not our determination, but the Holy Spirit taking control and turning our hearts and affections to who God is. And he pursues us to do that in us. So how is this faith possible? Only by the grace of God. That leads to our second question. What happens when we're drifting? What happens when we're drifting? We realize I'm not loving God like that. I'm not rejoicing in God like that. I'm not trusting in God like that. Go back to verse eight. What happens when we go, this is not my story this week. I'm not loving him. I'm not rejoicing him. I'm not believing or trusting in him like I should. What happens if we're drifting? Well, First of all, we have to ask, have I ever been there? That's because so often what I see in our culture is there's lots of people who think they're okay with God again because they walked down and out, they shook a pastor's hand, they got baptized, they joined the church, they volunteered in the kids' ministry, so I'm okay. But in Scripture, this is what saving faith looks like. And so the question for us is, have I ever been there? And if you have been there, if you've never been there, that starting point is to go, Lord, do I even really know you? Not just know about you, but do I know you personally? And so we start there. If you're going, this is not my experience, we go back to the beginning. Have I ever really experienced this? Have I ever really known Christ for who he is and fallen in love for Jesus for who he is because I want to know him? Friends, if you've never been there, that's the starting point this week is to cry out to God and say, God, this is not me, but this is who I want to be by your grace. Please rescue me. Please save me. Please make me your child. 
But if this has been you and you're like, but I'm not where I need to be, but I know that I love God, but I don't love him like I should. I know I trust God, but I don't trust him like I should. I know I find joy in God, but I don't find it like I should. What do you do? Well, it goes back to what happened when I was in the ocean. When I realized I was far down the, 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 the shore from where I was, what did I do? I just didn't keep floating down. My boys and I swam back in, grabbed our boogie boards. We ran down the beach to where we were supposed to do beef, jumped back in, and did it again. And then 30 minutes later, we're like, oh, no, we're already down the beach again. So we jumped back in. We ran back down. And over and over again, there's probably a path in the sand as we kept making this. And I'm like, that's so often, I think, what my life in Christ is like. I realize I'm floating. I get distracted by the things of the world. So we run back to him. We find we're floating, and we run back to him. How do we run back to God when we're realizing this is not where we need to be? Well, three things. This is not rocket science. But first, we run back to Scripture, that we do not see him with physical eyes. We see him in Scripture, friends. We have something that the early disciples did not have. We have the full revelation of God, of everything that God has been doing throughout history and where history is headed. He's given us everything we need in Scripture. We can see in ways that the early disciples could not see because we have the written word of God. So we run back to Scripture to see Christ here, to see his glory, to see his power, to see his sovereignty, to see his goodness, to see his nature. And we run to there to see him, friends. If we want this type of faith that loves God, that trusts God, that rejoice in God, we cannot manufacture that apart from Scripture. Because that's why we keep hounding you to get the dwell app to listen to the Bible. That's why we keep encouraging you to pick up books on the spiritual disciplines. That's why we keep pointing to grow a culture of discipleship, because we will never have this type of faith if we're not in the Word of God regularly. So day by day, we run back to Scripture. Second of all, we run back to prayer. This is about communing with God. So we talk to God about where we are. If we look at verse 8 and go, Lord, that's not where I am, we're not going to get to that point by just trying harder this week. We're not going to set some goals and be like, this week I'm going to rejoice more. We'll fall flat on our face. So we run to God in honesty like we see in the Psalms. We say, God, this is not where I am. He already knows that. He knows everything. But he invites us to come talk to him, to find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. And that's not just for trials. That's going and saying, Lord, my heart affections are not where you want them to be. Please, Lord, this week, stir my heart affections. Send the Holy Spirit to fill me so that I love you more, so I trust you more, so that I rejoice in you more. We pray and we talk to God about it. So we run to Scripture. We run to prayer. But one more, we run back to Christian community. We run back to one another. One of God's grace gifts that we so underutilize so often is the blessing of the church. It's the blessing of Christian community. God did not make us to do these things on our own. And so when we're struggling to love him like we should, when we're struggling to trust him like we should, when we're struggling to rejoice like we should, yes, we run to scripture on our own. Yes, we run to prayer. But we run to brothers and sisters and say, my heart affections are not what they need to be for God. Would you pray for me? Would you encourage me? Would you come alongside me? Would you study something? Would you hold me accountable to pursue Christ? Friends, God's will for us is for all of us who know him to have a verse 8 type of faith. And he's given us one another to help each other on that path. So let's bring all of this together now this morning. What does a growing faith in Christ look like? I think you've already seen it, but here's a summary of it all. Faith in Christ is characterized by love for him, trust in him, and deep joy in knowing him. So what do we look for to go, Lord, how strong is my faith? Because again, most of us say, yes, my faith is good. But are we loving him and still loving him day by day? Are we trusting in him when life doesn't make sense? Are we rejoicing in him and finding something we can't even express because our hearts are so full thinking about being in his presence? Friend, this is his will for us. We ask so often, what is God's will for my life? This is God's will for your life. That you love and keep on loving him, that you would trust and keep on trusting him, that you would find deep joy and continue to find deep joy in knowing him. So the question for us in light of that, is this a picture of us? 
Peter's painting a picture of the life of elect exiles and the chosen people of God. Is this you and is this me? Hope you'll chew on that question this week. And let's be a people this week who ask the Spirit of God to search us and to show us where we are, to not be content with where we are, but if we have drifted in his love to pursue us and chase us, to bring us to the place he desires for us to be. And let's be intentional to pray for one another and to encourage one another to experience pursuing Christ in this way. Faith in Christ is characterized by love for him, trust in him, and deep joy in knowing him. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your word. Thank you that you have not left us wondering what faith looks like. Thank you that you love us enough to reveal yourself to us. Thank you that you love us enough to show us what it looks like to walk with you. And Lord, as we look at this this morning, I know in my own heart, I am not what I see in verse eight. And I speculate that for most of us, we are not where we want to be. But we're not done with this journey of sanctification yet. And so Lord, I pray that we would not look at verse eight and be discouraged that we're not there but rather I pray it would create in us a hunger to know you more. As we think about our love for you, our rejoicing in you, and our trusting in you, Lord, we would not be discouraged going, oh, I'm not there yet, but Lord, we would realize that we've tasted and seen how good you are, and we would want more of you this week. So Lord, would you give us a holy discontentment with where we are in our own spiritual lives and a holy hunger to have more of your presence, more of our delight in you, more of seeing you work this week. Would you grow us in pursuing you this week as we pray as we study scripture, as we live in community. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who has never trusted in you or they've been trusting in the wrong things and they do not really have a real intimate saving relationship with their creator, I pray today would be the day they cry out to you and ex- begin to experience what we've seen this morning in this text. Lord, for those of us who have experienced this, but our hearts are not where they need to be, Lord, would you this week by your Holy Spirit sanctifying us and growing us, giving us that transforming grace I pray you grow us so that when we come to the end of this week, we can look back and go, wow, you've created me deeper affections for you, deeper trust in you, deeper joy than I've experienced in a long time so that we can give you the praise for doing what only you can do. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning?
So Psalm 63, I referenced this one earlier, have it on the screen. I want us to say this one out loud together as a church family. We'll start after all the Psalm of David when he's in the wilderness of Judah. Okay, ready? Oh God, you are my God.